all these are this pride. And which will also bring lot of other difficulties. So that's why if you look in the Tara Pradesh, if you remember we did those eight fears with the Tara Pradesh, and in that the pride is one of them. So in that Tara's eight fear, which I very often said, it is the nightmare of a spiritual practitioner. These are not the fear of the fear what we understand, but that's the nightmare what we get if we are spiritual practitioners. So this is this is one of them. And they give you this as a fear of a lion, the animal that gives you like a lion. The lion sort of hit him or herself somewhere in the sort of a corner of some mountain somewhere and remain there thinking I'm the king of animals, I'm the biggest, I'm the best and there's no one who can challenge me and sort of feels and sits there and insults and everybody and anybody who come near you as sort of anybody look up in your face or against you, you're ready to kill them with the claws, you know. So that's what it is. So that is the fear of the lion was giving as an example of the pride. So this is one of the nightmare of a spiritual practitioners. Because we get hurt all the time. Just somebody may be saying against you, or somebody may not be, nowhere, somebody could be just simply thinking completely different and saying something, and here you are picking each and every one of them up and getting hurt yourself. That's what it is. And if the pride is not there, you're not going to get hurt at all. You're not going to get hurt at all. No matter, even they tell you in front of it, just to face to face. You may become your face a little bit red, and your ear may become a little bit red, and that's all. You're not going to get hurt. I mean, look at it. I mean, like politically, if you look at it, the Chinese always tell the Dalai Lama, the, or Dalai Bandit, that's what they say the robbers and bandits and all this sort of thing. So, so he doesn't bother. It doesn't get hurt him at all. Whatever they say makes no difference. That is one example. So if you don't have a big pride, no matter whoever tells you, even in your face, you don't really, makes no difference. Unless you are running for political office, I understand you have to stay back and forth, otherwise you are the loser, right? So that is the politics, right? In the spiritual part, that's what it is. If you don't have pride, you're not going to get hurt that much. So the pride is the something which we always have to pay attention. That's what it is. The pride comes from nowhere, you know, I mean, nowhere. 
nowhere. And if you are a cook, and uh, if somebody tells you it's delicious, nice, thank you, you'll be happy. I mean, you may not say, I mean, is it a little bit too much salt or too little, too much sugar or too much less or too more or something, cold or hot even, then you get hurt. Right? Anything, for no reason, you don't have to call peak. So whatever you do, any work, if somebody press you with like, if somebody sort of says a little bit, even if it's a true problem, you can't call that a problem because you get hurt, right? Even you are making, actually making mistake. If you keep on telling that person you are making mistake, they're getting hurt. That's right. So, pride is one of those very important problems that we have. Remember, it is like a lion. You know the American expression? Sometimes they say, oh, it's like a cat sitting at the corner ready to jump any moment they get an opportunity. Or something, don't you say that? Sort of a cat sitting at the corner ready to jump on, sort of looking for others' fault. And that's what it is. And there are a lot of people spend their life just doing that, looking for others' fault all the time. And uh, don't look back to yourself, and but looking all the, all the time others' fault. That is the biggest problem. We never give any achievement within ourselves because we always that is the looking out, not looking in, looking out. You don't look at your problem; you look searching for the others' problems. I'm mean, just waiting for somebody, whoever, wherever they're making mistake, so ready to say something. So what is that? Well, it's none of our business. We are not a universal policeman. If we were sort of a universal police, then you can look and see, hey, you're doing wrong, and sort of you can say that, but it's not. Our work is to look whether I'm making mistake or whether I'm doing okay or not. So pride is the one of the key which makes you to look out rather than look in. You don't want to see your own problems because you get hurt. So very polite way I used to call it a sensitive button. It's a very sensitive. If you touch it, it's very sensitive. You can't touch it. People get hurt. So that's the one the pride is. There are things where I look at other people and I think, oh, I'm better than that person in this. And I know that I have this problem or that problem and I need to work on this. But in this area, I know that uh, I can do that better than this person. That's so not pride. That's not pride. That is the true statement. That's the, but you, you, may be, you may be acknowledging your capability, but you're not looking down on the other people. So that is a true statement. You don't have to push down and say, I know nothing. And the, in Asian culture, we have that. And um, so Aura used to get a shock when she sees the letters that I get um, from Asian people. I mean, really extremely, they push themselves so much low under the pretext of humbleness. 
the humbleness is quality for, for the Asian culture. The more the humble you can make, it is the quality. It also indicates you there's not so much pride with the individual. So sometimes in order to show that, people go out of the way to make, to make yourself ridiculously stupid. <laughs> uh, so you may do that. You know? <laughs> so when you say, when you hear that, sort of don't know this, don't know that, it's not necessarily that person really doesn't know that how to be, to be, you know, sort of to be humble. Uh, in, the, in the West, it's of course, there's other way around. If you know a little bit of something, you say, I know everything. <laughs> and we call yourself expert or whatever it is. So that is true with everybody. True. If you really look true, if you look, turn on your television and say that those so-called experts, expert on economics and <laughs> politics and analysis and all, look, I mean, it is, what they say, I'm sure so millions of others know the same thing, even better. I mean, true, but uh, they have uh, such a, a cheek and they say, I'm an expert. You know, we used to say other way around. If the, if the gold is under the mud, the light will be in the, in the sky. So, which meaning, if there is a value there, people will recognize. Don't blow your own home. So, that, that's the, I mean, this is the difference between the East and the West, I think. Because in the West, if you tell, I don't know, Probably is, oh, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> so the people will just dismiss in that way. Though, he may be talking to completely ridiculous in the, in the presence of that, in the presence of that person. That happens very often. Um, so, you, so you just simply sit there and say, oh yes, oh, is that right? Okay, bye, thank you. <laughs> so that you do, I mean, because you can't, uh, you don't say that I know you better than that. But I'm also changing my character slightly now, anyway. Maybe I've been too long in America now. I don't know. I've noticed that I'm changing my character a little bit. So I should have said I don't know anything. And whatever, whoever talks about it, anything, you say, I don't know. And that's what my character normally, I don't know. But now I begin to change. Pride is one of those biggest problems. Pride brings a lot of our emotional problems, a lot of them, because we introduced that as an Irembuchi earlier. That is the totally, uh, it is the pride. If you look in that, what I just mentioned earlier, out of these eight fears, I said the lion is hiding what kind of mountain the lion is hiding? This mountain is not an ordinary mountain. The mountain of a collection of impermanence. Collection of impermanence. Which the earlier Tibetan lamas used to call that 
view of fear or fear view. What does that mean? What does mean? What does that mean of a collection of impermanent? <coughs> collection of impermanent really means means skandhas, skandhas, aggregates, the different bodies we have, the form, the sound body, the consciousness which sort of acknowledges the feelings, smell, sound, seeing, taste, all of those. Those forms, the collection of those forms, that is the real mountain, which we call on the level as I. Right? When you have to really search where is I, what is I, and you will begin to pointing out to the either the body or the mind or something which will look inside, which we don't look outside. So when you look inside and you're pointing it to that, sort of what you really catch is the physical body what we have. Now we all know the body is not me because I leave body and I'll go. It is funny. That's what it is, right? I leave body and I go. We're thinking like talking reincarnation again. So I leave body and I go, so therefore the body is not me. So when you begin to point it out, then probably you say the mind. Then probably the mind is also not me. So then it becomes the combination. So Actually, the mountain is the collection of impermanent. That is the collection of aggregates. So this pride is, a, this line is a hiding between those mountains of aggregates. And wherever, whoever comes near you, you're ready to jump out and use your biggest claw and hurt other beings. So now, it's not only a pride of self-individual and looking down on the others, it makes more important, it gives you more meaning than that of ordinarily looking down on others. It's also looking yourself as sort of more, more, important and uh, valuable. A lot of self-cherishing and uh, self-grasping in that. Which gives you a little more close idea of what really ignorance is functioning within the individual. This is sort of a one draw way through which you can also have pip and ignorance. Through the pride, if you search it, you can pip up. Pip, you call pip, right? Little bit look. Peep. 
little bit sort of look, if there's a curtain, you pick up a little bit and see what's there. So is it very difficult to see the ignorance? But this is sort of a one way through which you can see. If you see, that's why this, uh, this word here, when they say sitting behind the mountain, it is not only a poetry, simple poetry, but it carries a lot of meaning behind. So which indirectly touch with the, the sixth, sixth root delusion, sixth is view. So therefore, there are five different types of view. This first view is this particular view. So the pride is also linked up with that. So to overcome, to overcome uh, the pride, it's very funny. Even you look at the historical, the Buddhist historical point of view, the number of different teachers have that. Like uh, there's one great uh, teacher called Ralotawa, who's so powerful, the magical, mystical power. He has a tremendous uh, mystical power. This teacher called Ralotawa, tremendous mystical power. And um, I mean, somehow, incidentally, Incidentally, he had the power, you know. It is sort of a total accident for him, how he picked it up, that power. Is he had a teacher, this particular person has a teacher in Nepal, not in Tibet, in Nepal. And this, his teacher is a very powerful teacher, but a very, very crazy, wild chap in Nepal. So the Nepalese kings tried to punish this person and so they cut off his two arms and two legs, both. So he has no arms, no legs. And that was the Ralozawa's teacher. So he has no arm, no leg because he did a, he broke law a number of times in Nepal. So they, they started cutting one by one and so that's how he lost all four of them. The funny thing is, is without arm, without leg, this person gets everywhere again. And that time they don't have those wheels either. So he gets somewhere. Somehow he gets everywhere. So one day Ralata was passing through a, a Nepalese, uh, they call it Mela. It's sort of um, people get together and having function or what do you call here this? Huh? It's not a town hall meeting, but it's not sort of a market. Like we have a farmer's market here, you know, small people walk around and all this. So one teacher, somebody looked at him and said, hey, you look like uh, having a great opportunity. You are a very sort of valuable guy. Why don't you come and study with me? So this fellow is also very funny. He looked at him and he said, hey, I'm riding a horse. I'm not going to get off the horse and you're going to ride a donkey. That's what he replied, you know. The donkey and horse. He said, that means he has his one great teacher. He's not going to leave this and not going to follow you, the donkey. That's what he meant. He said, hey, I'm riding a horse. I'm not going to get off the horse 
I'm going to write a tongue. No, no way, no thank you. So this teacher got offended, very badly offended. And he said, if I don't destroy you within the seven days, don't call me a human being. Uh, so, so he was a little bit worried. He was a little bit worried. So, so he's very worried and then he told a few other people, they said, oh, this is, this is very powerful. He has a lot of magical power and the mystical power. He does this and he does this and he does that and this and that. That's what, that's what happened. So he got very scared. And he ran to his teacher and said, what can I do? And he said, what can you do? He said, I have no arms, no legs, anything. I can do nothing. You should not have uh, crossed with these sort of guys anywhere. So why can't do nothing? What can you do? Sort of then uh, he kept on insisting. He was more scared. And then at the seventh day, his teacher said, all right, now I'll put you in a little pot sort of cooking pot in the big sort of clay pot where they put water. He put that, he said, you get in that pot. And on the pot, then he put a little slate. And on the slate, he wrote a mantra. I don't know how, but somebody else might have wrote it. He doesn't have arms, right? <laughs> anyway, the mantra called Akasamaranza, Om Akasamaranza Shandara Samaraya Pe. He wrote that thing and uh, put himself in that uh, little clay pot and uh, that clay covered with that uh, uh, slate and left him there. He said, just before the midnight, he said, a small little tiger came flying with fire behind and I hit the door and I break the door into two. The another came and I hit the pillar, hit the pillar. Didn't do that bad. And another came and hit the slate, slate where the mantras were written, hit on that and turned it around and went back. So he began to realize his teacher doesn't have legs and arms, but is also equally powerful. So he keep on saying, teach me that, teach me that. He even keeps on sort of chasing him around. So he taught him how to do this magical power trick a little bit, you know. And this fellow went back to Tibet and started insulting every other existing teacher. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and every teacher, wherever they're giving teachings like this, he started sending tigers and started hitting the people here and there. Tigers are landing here and there. So there's another teacher called, called Langlap Chengju Dorji. Langlap Chanju Dorji is giving one big te teaching, about 2,000 people attending, and he started sending the daggers there. So he had a few people around. And then Langlap Chanju Dorji got a little annoyed, and he said, return all these daggers back to him. So from the throne, like that. So all the daggers went back and hid himself. <laughs> he has to hide himself back. So he said, oh, no, not only that, he hit himself a little bit and he was sort of unconscious for a little while. And then he woke up. And after that he said, well, I thought I learned a lot, but still there is a limit. There's somebody else better than me. 
So he had to go back to Nepal to find his teacher. And he had a tremendous power later. I mean, not sort of normally. So no one can really challenge him, his magical power. That's Ralodava. So Ralodava also developed along with that tremendous pride too, that he thinks he is the person, he can do anything he wants to. He doesn't have to bother with anybody else. He's a very proud person. Wears extremely good quality cloth. His dresses are always have to be first class in quality and make everything. He's very proud a person. And there are a number of other great teachers too, teachers or developed persons. So he's very proud. But no one can do anything. So in order to reduce his pride, what the Dakinis did, the Dakinis in his dream, there's a number of Dakinis came and showed him a number of different uh, the taxes that he have even never even heard about it. And asked a lot of questions for which he couldn't even understand what the question is really about it. And then sort of gradually he'll be able to reduce his pride. Even great developed person like Ralozawa even has a pride and a pride problem. So person like us in our label, we will definitely have it. No question, we have it. But the way to reduce this is also is not that a self you don't have to put yourself down, but you also gain respect to the others. And you also think there's a tremendous amount of different qualities and development you can really pick up. And most of our prides are normally false, not really true pride. Ralodawa is really true because no one can really challenge him. But others, we can. And so, so reducing that down without putting down self-esteem. So the question this gentleman raises is the true. Your true acknowledgement of your quality is not pride. But if you think you are better than others, in general, because I know one little trick better than others, then that is becomes pride. You may know one little thing better than others, but others know hundred different things better than you. Better than me. So that's why that's why how you put it down. Gradually reduced pride. Well I think I'd better stop here. But maybe I'm talking too long. <laughs>